Well, some of you already know that I'm a walker because you see me at it. You know, most days, rain, sh shine, forget about the hail. I tried that once and it hurts. No. <laughs> but walking is how I start most days. And the weather has to be pretty bad to stop me in my tracks. Walking is good for me, mentally, physically, and the icing on the cake, spiritually. Because when I walk, I pray to God. Talk, I walk and talk to God. And today, I'm talking about walking. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you will just come and just draw us all into a greater, closer walk with you. God, that's what we all want. And I pray that you will help us. Just show us the next steps to take. Motivate us. Give us understanding, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, throughout history, the history of the world, life has been described as a walk. We go through it step by step. And then walk and walking are the most frequently used metaphors in the whole Bible, occurring nearly 300 times. First of all, they symbolise walking in relationship, sometimes with people, but mostly with God. In Hebrews 11 and verse 5, Paul gives us that well-known example of, who was it, walking with God? Enoch. That's the one, Enoch walking with God. And secondly, these metaphors symbolise the concept of walking as making progress, moving ahead to reach our destination and fulfilling God's purpose. Now, in our day-to-day -day life, we hear untold metaphors about walking, walking on thin ice, walking on eggs, walking on a tightrope. That's the hard stuff. Walking on air, yes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Someone said that could be worse. Don't worry about walking a mile in my shoes. Try living a day in my head. I don't think so. Walking in step. Walk the plank. Walking on the wild side. Forget it. Walking the straight and narrow, yes. Walk the talk, so important for us. Walk the dog, oh my goodness. When I'm out walking, half the world's walking their dog. <laughs> I read about someone who got a new dog and they called it Five Miles. Why on earth would you give your dog such a strange name? Well, this dog was called Five Miles so that the owner could tell people, I walk five miles every day. <laughs> hey, a half truth is a whole lie. <laughs> Remember that. Nothing beats walking with God. But even on a natural level, walking is good for us. You know, last year, I read this incredible statement in the newspaper. And then this year, I saw the same thing on Google. This is amazing. It said, brisk walkers have a 
lower risk of dying. A 35% lower risk of dying? Like, really? I've always understood that the stats on dying remain steady at 100%. (laughs) Everyone is going to die at some point, and no amount of brisk walking is going to stop that. So it's vital that we get our walk with God sorted before we die. So where do we start? Well, our beautiful communion gave us some good ideas about that. The first step is that we must get saved or born again. You know, the Bible makes it clear that there are only two places that we go after we die, heaven and hell. And God does not want anybody to go to hell, which is why he sent his son Jesus, who came and died a terrible death on the cross so that we can be forgiven and saved from hell. In most cases, we receive forgiveness or we receive salvation by making a definite response to the truth, the facts of the gospel and by praying and asking Jesus into our heart. And if you have never taken that step, there'll be an opportunity at the end of the service, and we would seriously urge you to do it. The next step is consecration, a big word that simply means being set apart, dedicated, devoted to God in order to serve and to worship Him. So walking with God is really about commitment. We give ourselves fully to him for life, but it's good to reaffirm that on a daily basis. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So keep in mind that we're priests, God's special possession, called to praise and to worship and to serve him. In Exodus, we read about the consecration of Aaron and his sons as priests. In Exodus 29, 4-9, God tells Moses, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe, the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. And then we go down to verse 21. And take some blood from the altar and some anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and his son and their garments. And then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Oh no, they sprinkled blood and oil all over those beautiful handcrafted garments horrors. I bet the women were just shocked to the core. What were they thinking? 
wait a minute, I need a new perspective here. Who cares what I think? What counts is what God sees, what God thinks. And this is what Tinny was talking about. God was looking deeper than the stains on the priestly robes. He was looking at the stain of sin on human lives. And the blood on the robes and the oil was not about messy stains. They were really the most beautiful adornments we could ever imagine. The blood of the ram symbolizes the blood of Jesus, shed with such agony when he laid down his life on the cross to pay that costly ransom for our sin. And the oil symbolizes the anointing, the graces of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look past the mess and see the beauty of Christ's holiness, the Lamb without spot. In Revelation 7 and verse 14, we see that robes stained by sin were made white with the blood of the Lamb. It washes away our sin. And then if we back up a bit to Exodus 29 and verse 30, we see another ram being sacrificed. And Moses gives these instructions. Slaughter it. Take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hand, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then splash blood against the sides of the altar. Oh, Things are going from bad to worse. No. This was about complete consecration. The ram's blood was applied to extreme parts of the body, from the tip of the ear to the end of their foot. And this is about being given over to God from head to toe. The sacrificial lamb had been offered, and its blood had sanctifying power cleansing and setting them apart. And then it was, some was placed on Aaron and his sons, right ears, thumbs, and big toes. And the symbolism here is not hard to see. The ear is about hearing the word of God, listening to him, receiving from him. The thumb represents our hands, set apart to serve God, yeah doing the work of God. And the toe, of course, is about our feet, walking with God in his ways and in obedience to him. And this really reinforces why walking with God is the way to go, to be who he wants us to be and to do what he's planned for us to do. You know, in 1 Kings 2 and verse 3, 3, 14 and 6, 12 to 13, we read God's incredible promises to Solomon. He would prosper in everything that he did. Wherever he turned, he would have a long life and God would fulfill his word and bless him and presence himself with him and all that. <clears throat> but it all depended on him walking in God's ways and Solomon failed to do that. You see, walking with God is not easy. It's not automatic but it is so rewarding. A hundred times, yes, it's our best life. We're created to walk with God and made to go through life 
beside God and with him walking beside us. You know, remember some of Tark's recent messages and how he shared that consecration is not so much about giving things up, it's about what we gain, that fantastic relationship with God. There's an old song that I love and it goes, the greatest thing in all my life is knowing you, knowing God. And knowing God, walking with him, leads to lasting fulfillment and satisfaction. Right, coming back to walking. Walking is a natural movement or exercise. You know, not everyone's fit enough to run. Sadly, not everyone can swim. But as long as we have normal growth and development, no big health issues, we can all walk from an early age. But things can go wrong when we're walking. How many have tripped and fallen when you've been walking? Yeah, lots. I have numbers of times, and twice I have injured myself. About 12 years ago, I had a speed bump, literally, and I did a hamstring. And they were talk- it was so bad they were talking about surgery for a while. And then at the beginning of last year, I tripped over a bump on the footpath. And I made a mess of my chin, my hands, my knees. The right knee was the worst. And like with the hamstring, I had to have this whole series of physio sessions. I met a lady who told me how she fell and hurt her knee. She couldn't even walk for months. And I had a neighbour who used to walk every day for miles. She tripped and broke her wrist. And as we walk through life and walk with God, we can trip and fall. It's not good. But with God's grace and forgiveness and strength, we can always recover and be restored. Psalm 37, 23 to 25, we all know it. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. David wrote those words when he was old, and he was looking back over decades of walking with God, looking back over decades of great victories, and some spectacular falls. Yep, we all know about David's failures. They're not good, but we do appreciate what they teach us about God's love and forgiveness and faithfulness. And let's face it, we can all look back on our fair share of sins and failures. David bounced back. No, not like a tennis ball. He went through long periods of suffering and grief and he faced some serious consequences. But he did make a comeback and he's forever known as Israel's greatest king and the man after God's own heart. God forgave David and redeemed his situation. When we trip and fall, we sin, we mess up, God's grace and love is there for us. He's the God of the second chance, the third, however many we need. 
You know, a verse that we've been hearing so much of in the last few months is Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Isn't that the truth? When God is on our case, nothing is wasted. And my guess is that down through the centuries and millennia, untold Christians, probably many in ministry, have been salvaged and restored or warned off immorality and adultery because of God's word or messages about David's life. Jesus graciously forgives. He gives us another chance. But as always, the challenge remains. Go and sin no more. When I had all that physio for my knee, I was taught stretches and exercises and things to do to strengthen the muscles and improve my balance. And I still do them because the goal there was to reduce the risk of falling again. Now likewise, <clears throat> we can strengthen ourselves to reduce the risk of falling in our walk with God. We've got to keep stretching ourselves and exercising the Christian disciplines. We've got to work our prayer muscle and strengthen our inner man. And a lot of it comes down to reading the Bible, worshipping, spending time in prayer, fellowshipping with other Christians, praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. And we need to watch out for the obstacles in our path. You know, if I'd been alert to where I put my feet, I really would have saved myself a lot of trouble. Imagine if we're walking along a track at night and it's totally dark, there's just no light. All we have is a torch that we shine down at our feet to see where the next step is. Well, that torch is God's word. The Bible shines a light on our path as we walk through light. And we need that. It shows us how to walk step by step, day by day. But of course, if the Bible's gonna light our way, then we need to read it and to know it and to obey it. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. So God's word is that torch that we shine down at our feet to see the next step. And sometimes it's a light on our path. It will illuminate the path up ahead and show us God's plan for the future, short term or long term, you know, maybe like um, a ministry, marriage, moving house, job, serving, whatever. It'll show us what's ahead. But it's all part of walking with God and fulfilling his purpose. So walking with God is keeping in step with his word. So on one hand, the Bible tells us what to do. Matthew 22, 36 is a biggie. It tells us that we need to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So walking with God means loving 
loving him is a priority, and then loving our neighbour as ourself. In James 2 verse 8, James calls that the royal law. On the other hand, God's word also highlights the things where, hey, we don't go there, that we need to avoid obstacles that might trip us up. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6 to 11, Paul refers to Israel's 40 years of walking and um, wandering in the wilderness, basically because of their sin and unbelief. And he brings out how God's word here is a warning, an example to us of how not to do it. In other words, it's a lamp to our feet. He says these things happened as a warning to us that we should not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them as examples for us. And then Romans 13 verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy. Day by day, the Bible shows us the steps to take and where we're not to go. And God has planned our pathway individually. Ephesians 2, 2 and verse 10, we love this verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And that, that's the best translation, walk in them, of the original Greek word there. God has a purpose for us. We're his masterpieces, created for good works, which he's planned out before we were even born. And a big part of walking with God is that we get to fulfill his purpose for us. And also when we're close to him, we get his grace and strength to do what we need to do. And when we're fulfilling God's plan and purpose, it's fulfilling for us as people. We need to walk in agreement with God Amos 3 and verse 3 asks the question, can two walk together unless they be, except they be agreed? Well, historically, that was a rhetorical question, and the answer was no. There's no way that two can walk together unless they be agreed. You know, decades ago, I would always see these two old ladies out walking, and they lived at opposite ends. And when they met up, one or the other would always have to do a U-turn so that they could walk and talk together. Well, when we're walking with God, it's always us. It's not one or the other. It's always us who has to do the U-turn if we're going to walk with God. Now, we need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Colossians 4 and verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. 
as we walk with God, we can be a shining light for the unsaved. And um, I just want to read this story about someone who was doing time and made the best use of the time. It's about a man called Roy, and he'd been a kidnapper and a hold-up man for 12 years. Well, of course, he ended up in prison doing time. And there he heard the gospel, and he invited Jesus into his life, yes. And Jesus spoke to him and he said, I will come and live in you and we will serve the sentence together. Now, several years later, Roy was paroled. And just before he went out, he was handed a two-page letter from another prisoner. And it said, you know perfectly well that when I came into the jail, I despised preachers and the Bible and anything that smacked of Christianity. I went to the Bible class and the preaching service because there wasn't anything else to do. And then they told me you were saved. And I said, there's another guy taking the gospel road to get parole. But Roy, I've been watching you for two and a half years. You didn't know it, but I watched you when you were in the yard exercising when you were working in the shop, when you played, when we were all together at meals, on our way to the cells and all over. And now I'm a Christian too, because I watched you. Making the most of the time for two and a half years. And his life reflected Jesus. You know, get this well-known quote from Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Roy did that and it drew an anti-Christian criminal to Jesus. We don't have to be perfect. We're human beings, but every act of kindness, every good deed, every smile, the things that we think no one else notices are actually preaching to others. We can be shining lights for Jesus. And walking to the end, God walks with us throughout our life. Numbers of times in the Bible he promises he will never leave us or forsake us. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Jesus said, I am with you even to the end of the age. Matthew 1 verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, the eternal word of God, became flesh. He became one of us. That means he walked among us. He didn't come like a king riding in a chariot. Literally, everywhere he went, he walked. And in the end, it was a long hard road. God never said that our lives in this sin-sick and fallen planet would be easy. You know, we all know about pain, hardship, heartache, struggles, but walking with God gives us the assurance of his presence, his love, comfort, hope, victory, and eternal life. Walking through this life is not going for a stroll. It is serious. We have a destination to reach. We've got a prescribed route to take, a purpose to carry out. 
It really helps if our hearts are set on eternity and if our eyes are focused on Jesus. And we just need to keep in mind that he's with us all the way, right to the end. In Psalm 23, we read some of the great benefits of having Jesus as our shepherd. Even in death, he walks with us. Verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When we belong to Jesus, death is just a shadow of the real thing. Now we know that death is hard, it's tragic, but for us it's a shadow. It's just the final valley that we have to go through on our journey to heaven. And because Jesus is our shepherd, we're never going to walk that valley alone, not like he did. Before his crucifixion, Jesus told the disciples that they would all desert him. And then he said, yet I'm not alone because my Father is with me. But as he suffered on the cross, he went through those terrible hours of darkness when the Father turned away because Jesus had become sin and a holy God could not look upon sin. Jesus had to bear the sin of the world and die alone. The sinless one who was made sin for us felt the horror of separation from God. And in his agony, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the worst time in Jesus' life, the unbroken fellowship he'd had with his father was shattered and he was forced to walk alone through that shock, horror, valley of death. But it will never be like that for us. We will know the hope and the comfort of Jesus walking with us through that valley because of God's amazing grace of giving us his son. Jesus, our Emmanuel, is God with us. And let's just pray as Pastor Sam comes to take, you know, to give that, um, that, um, to give the invitation for that. Father, we just thank you, God, that you walk with us all the way, that your word is our roadmap, as it were, the light to our feet. And Lord, I just pray that you will help all of us to walk with you, God, to walk closer with you. And Lord, for those that don't know you, we pray, Lord, that they would take that first step this morning to walking with you. Help us, Lord, to consecrate ourselves, to deepen our commitment. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and walked and made a way for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and make this word flesh in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, God.